Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Beginning with verse 11, we're going to read through verse 14. It says this. Mary stood outside near the tomb. She was crying. And as she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head, one at the foot. And the angels said to her, and notice what they call her, Woman, why are you crying? And she replied, They have taken away my Lord because the body wasn't there. She thought someone took him. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And as soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was him. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Now Mary is one of my absolute favorite people in all of Scripture. Because I find her story particularly compelling. Mary was single, she was never married, and she never had children. And we know these things because Mary lived in a very patriarchal culture, and women were always known in that culture by who they were in relationship to. So there were a lot of Marys in the ancient Near East in the first century. But if you were not yet married... You were Mary, the daughter of. You were still known in relationship to your dad. But what's interesting is Mary is never described that way. If you were married, then you were known as Mary, the wife of. But Mary's never described that way either. Now, if you had been married at one point in time and your husband died, but you had children with that man, you would be known as Mary, the mother of. Mary's never described that way either. She's described as Mary of Magdola, which is a fishing village, a town, which is the Bible's way of telling us Mary does not have any significant relationships, at least that we know of. She's never been married, She's never had any children, and in that time, at that culture, that's very, very rare. And maybe one of the reasons why she never married, and maybe one of the reasons why she never had children, is that she was a woman who the Bible describes as being plagued by seven demons. Scripture says Mary was possessed by a demon seven times. Now, in the first century, Demons could have been like some sort of 
spiritual entity. That's a very real possibility. But what was labeled as a demon in the first century had other modern explanations. It could have been an undiagnosed illness that no one could explain. It might have been epilepsy or it could have been an addiction. Something that Mary had really not a lot of control over and it seemed to control her. In fact, a lot of times mental illnesses referred to in the first century as some sort of demon possession. It was like this unexplained sort of a thing. No one knew what to do with, and so it was this catch-all of a label. Whatever it was, whatever the explanation, we know this. Mary had never been married. She never had children. And she had been possessed by seven ailments, seven demons. Now, you, you stack those things together, and what you end up with is, is someone who is an outsider. Someone who does not fit within normal society or normal culture. She was on the fringe. She would be the type of person that the school counselor would be concerned about. She's the type of person that no one really wanted to identify with and always kept their distance from. She's, she's out there. She had some troubling things in her past. She had a lot of trauma and a lot of pain that had caused a lot of deep hurt in her life. And then what's really interesting is somewhere along the course of her life, she meets Jesus. And what's really interesting is we don't even know how. Of all of the stories in Scripture that I wish were recorded, and there are so many stories that I wish were written down, one of the ones I wish for the most was the recording of the story when Mary interacted with Jesus for the first time. We don't know how they met or how their paths came together, but here's what we do know. Jesus loves people like Mary. It's like a magnet. Jesus is magnetized to people like her. He loves people who are typically shut out and cast aside. He loves people that everybody else has said, oh, I don't know if there's much hope there. Jesus is like intrinsically drawn to people just like Mary who are on the margins of culture. And he loved including people who everybody else excluded. He loved to gather at a table and share a meal. Then no, and share that meal with people that no one else would invite into their house party. And he knew would get everyone else talking about those kinds of people that he is eating with. He loved it. And so somewhere along the line, this woman, this deeply loved woman who had endured pain And trauma and sorrow was welcomed by Jesus. And for the first time in her life, probably, she finds a place of belonging. She finds a community of belonging in the presence of Jesus. And life for Mary began to turn for the better. Until Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And Mary had been following Jesus now for three years. She had devoted her life to Jesus. And Jesus rides into that city on a donkey, and Holy Week happens. And you've heard preachers tell stories upon stories upon stories about how 
as Jesus made his way closer to the cross, all of the disciples who had followed him betrayed him. And they all abandoned and left him. And listen, that's half the truth. All of the men did. Many of the women stuck around and were present. I was gone last week on Mother's Day, but there is something about the resiliency that God has instilled and created into the very DNA of women. Something about knowing the pain and the heartbreak of life and never, ever, ever giving up until it's all the way over. Something about that. And that's what played out during Holy Week. The men, they disappeared I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were looking for better opportunities. But the women stuck around. And Mary was there. And she saw this person who loved her and who included her and who invited her in. She saw what happened to him. She heard as Pilate said, crucify him. And she saw as he was led out of the city carrying a cross. She saw what happened when they stuck that spear into his side to confirm that, in fact, he was dead. And she saw them take his body down. And she saw him put it in that tomb. And I can imagine that for her, all of the hope that had been instilled in her by finding this new community of people who were going to reshape the world, all of that came crashing down. It was sorrow. It was loss. And like Mary, when we experience sorrow or when we experience loss, it can make us feel like we're trapped. It can make us feel like joy will never come back into our lives. Like happiness is only just this like fleeting illusion. We know what that feels like. Many of us are here this morning and we have sorrow. We have the sorrow of a marriage or a relationship. That ended and didn't work out. We have the sorrow of the death of a loved one. The sorrow of a sickness. Of a diagnosis. The sorrow of infertility. The sorrow of children. Who are going through things we wish they never would have to go through. We know what it's like to feel sorrow. And so Mary is at that tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning. And what is she doing? She's crying because she's sad. And then the story picks up. John chapter 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, and he calls her the same title that the angels called her. He said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And the place where Jesus' body was buried was a tomb that was kind of in a garden-like setting. And so Mary thought he was the gardener. So she replied, Sir, listen, if you are the one who has carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I will, I will get him. What a response. And Jesus said to her, and the title changed. He said, Mary. And she turned when she heard that. And she said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Now notice what happened. He called her by name. 
she had been referred to two times in this story, spoken directly to two times in this story with the title woman, and nothing happened. But when Jesus calls her by name, everything changes. In verse 16, with one word, Mary, her world is turned upside down. Jesus just simply calls her by her name. And I love that. What I love about that simple word of Jesus is that this person happens to be someone who has a sketchy past. And Jesus knows all about that. That's no secret to him. He knows her failures. He knows her mistakes. He knows her character issues. He knows the struggles that she continues to deal with. But he calls her by name, Mary. So here's what I want you to hear this morning, church. You can be sure of this. The same way that Jesus knew everything about Mary, he knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me. He knows your struggles. He knows your failures. He knows your addictions. He knows your really beautiful moments, and he knows your really ugly moments. And still, when he addresses you, he calls you by name. Now, you, this, is a, this is a situation that's not just familiar to me. This is familiar to you as well. You know, I've been at a conference somewhere where I've seen colleagues who I haven't seen in a while. And maybe we know each other through social media, but we don't really know each other. We don't text. And I'm standing there talking to somebody, or maybe I'm just standing there by myself, and someone will come up to me, and that person doesn't really know me. They haven't seen me in a while, but like they're, I'm a little familiar to them. So what they'll do is they'll say this. Hey, Ty, Ty, it's so good to see you. Man, you're looking good, Ty. This has is, this is actually happened, Ty. And in that moment, I do not know what to do if you don't know my name is Troy. So what I want to say is, no, listen, I'm not Ty, I'm Troy, and that's really embarrassing for you. But I save them the humility, and I just kind of stand there stunned, thinking, huh, you know, I really thought it was something, but I guess Ty, Ty is something. People forget our name. They forget our name, but what's also true, and let's fess up to it, we forget other people's names. This happens at church all, all the time, and here's how you can always know someone doesn't really know your name. They come up to you and they're like, hey, man, or hey, wow, it's so good to see you. You know, they're looking you in your eye. You can tell they have that glazed over look in their mind where they're scratching through the index, the Rolodex in their head, trying to put together the name. But they don't know it, so they just say, hey, man, hey, oh, it's so good to see you. And the story reminds us of something really simple, but it's a powerful truth. There are billions of people who live on this planet. And here's truth you can take to your grave. Even though there are billions of people who live on this planet, Jesus knows you. And he calls you and addresses you by your name. And the IRS knows you by your tax ID number. The state knows you by your driver's license number. 
The bank knows you by your account number. Your employer often doesn't even know your name. They know you by your social security number. Your insurance company knows you by your policy number. But Jesus knows you by your name. Aren't you glad this morning that he knows you by your name and he calls you by your name? He's calling even now, speaking out to you by your name. And that's not the question that we're here to talk about today. That's something we need to be reminded of. The question in this story is, do we know his voice? Do we know his voice? He's calling us even now by our name, longing to appear and to reappear to us. The question is, can we hear that? Do we know his voice? Can we recognize it? And that's the question of this story. Jesus says to Mary and calls out to Mary, woman, and she doesn't recognize. He calls her Mary by her name, and she knows that voice. She knows the way that he talks to her, and so immediately she responds differently. Do we respond similarly? There are a handful of people in my life who, if I heard their voice without being able to see their face, I could identify them. A handful of people. Hopefully all of my children, definitely my wife, my mom, my dad, maybe some close extended family. If something were to happen and I lost my sight, if I heard that voice... I would know their name and who's talking to me. And this is one of the more beautiful pictures of God that I think we find in all of Scripture. Is that we can develop a relationship with a risen and a living God to the point where when that voice speaks to us and calls us by name, we know who it is and we know who's talking. Now let me talk about this for a minute. There are some of you in this room who, as I'm saying this, you're like, how does it actually work? Do you hear some sort of like audible voice in your ear? Do you hear it in your head or in your heart? How, how does it all work? And it would be really nice if God's voice was like this unique signature voice that audibly spoke to all of us and we all heard it at the same time. The risen Jesus through the power of his spirit doesn't often give us a word that's audible to where we can hear it. But he does speak to us through our gut, our intuition, our conscience, our heart. It's kind of like how we know someone is in the room with us even without being able to see that they're presently there. We just have that sense That's one of the ways that the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through our dreams and through our ideas, through our mind and through our hearts. He speaks to us through that inner voice that speaks to us when we can finally put down the phone and get calm enough to where we can listen. God calls us by our name. He's still talking to us. Have we developed the practices and the habits in our life where we're able to recognize and to hear what God has to say? He calls to Mary, and she hears him when he calls her by name. So in the midst of being overwhelmed by grief, 
as we're overwhelmed with pain. When we're overwhelmed with sorrow, Jesus knows all about that. He knows the sorrow. He knows the disappointment. He knows the loss. He knows the heartache. He calls out to us. Can we listen? What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to continually become someone who's capable of hearing what God has to say to us. I've never heard God more clearly than when I was 17 years old and I was not yet a follower of Jesus. And I was a little bit skeptical. I was raised in this really great home where church attendance was a huge priority and that was to my advantage and to my benefit. And so I had been around the stories of faith and I knew the scripture. But I had never heard God call me by my name. I'd never heard that before. And I think that was the missing piece to the puzzle. And I've told this story before. But through a simple sermon, sitting in a simple church pew on a Sunday night when I didn't want to be there, I heard it. And what I thought I would hear was a list of all of the things I had done wrong. That's what I thought I would hear. What I heard instead was like the most pure voice of love calling out to one of his children. Come on home. Come on home. And that voice, something happened to me. It's like I was one of my grandpa's cows or something. And I never lost sight of it. To be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who intentionally tunes themselves to the voice of God that's calling out to us. Come on. Come on home. Come on home. And here's something you can take to the bank. As long as you have breath and as long as you have life, your heavenly Father is calling to you, imploring you, pleading to you by name. Come on. Come on. Come on. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be a follower of Jesus? To be a follower of the resurrected Jesus who shows up in our lives, continues to call us by name until he knows that he's called us safely back home to the glory of God the Father.